Good morning. I'm Cindy Condon. And I'm Jan Margosian. Welcome to Legislative Matters. Tune in and take part, a segment of Willamette Wake Up on KMUZ Community Radio. Our purpose is to inform you of the work being done by the Oregon State Legislature with particular attention to the Mid-Willamette Valley Legislators. We hope you find the program informative, sometimes provocative, and interesting enough that it will motivate you to get involved in the process by writing or calling your legislators to weigh in on proposed bills before the votes are taken. The Capitol is closed for health and safety reasons. It's closed to the public. Uh, but the business goes on in public view and is easy to access virtually. Luckily, we live in a time with tools which allow the legislature to do its work effectively and transparently. Jan and I are watching it from from a distance using um, our Zoom calls and sitting in on those hearings. So a virtual legislative session allows Oregonians to participate in the process from our homes rather than donning our masks and making our way to the Capitol to voice our opinions. Although there's a possibility to do that because you can be outside on the Capitol steps doing that. Yes, an open Capitol would be better in many ways, but having it closed does not prevent us from playing our part by engaging in the process and pressing our legislators for action on the issues which matter to us. It's easier than ever to participate, and we hope you do so. So one more note, the views expressed on legislative matters are our own personal views on the issues, people, and processes we cover. KMUZ, its management and staff, do not review or contribute to the content and have no responsibility for our comments or the material. So, Jan, I know you've got a lot going from uh, or that you watched last week, and uh, so do you want to get us started? I do. Um, last week, of course, I took a comprehensive look at health care committees in the Senate and the House uh, with a subcommittee on COVID. And this week, I want to take a closer look at the conduct committee in the Senate and the House and uh, the Senate and the House redistricting committees. And then uh, we'll look at some uh, hearings that happened and some hearings coming up this week. Now, um, I'm going to look at conduct first uh, in the Senate and the House. Now, members of the Senate Conduct Committee are uh, Floyd Brzezanski, Chuck uh, Thompson, and they're the co-chairs. And then uh, you've got members uh, Bill Hansel and Kathleen Taylor. And, and the Conduct Committee has usually four people, two chairs and two members. And then they have uh, four or five alternates, uh, Dick Anderson, Ginny Burdick, Lynn Finley, Lou Frederick, and uh, our uh, local person, uh, Senate Republican Leader Fred Gerard, and uh, Senator Kate Lieber are all alternates in, in case they have to step in. Now, the Senate Conduct uh, Committee members uh, have had it easy so far. They have met, and they have no meetings scheduled, but they're kind of standing on the sidelines watching the House Conduct Committee, who've met six times um, since... January. Now, the House Conduct Committee members include uh, co-chairs uh, Julie Fahey and uh, Ron Noble, who's a, a Republican out of McMinnville. And then the two members are our uh, uh, Salem, uh, rep one of our Salem representatives, Raquel Moore Green, and Representative uh, Tana Sanchez. And then the alternates, uh, the alternates, I'm sorry, are 
uh, Cedric Hayden, which I haven't heard his name for a while, uh, John Lively, Mark Owens, uh, Dan uh, Rayfield, Janine Solman, and Dwayne Stark. Now, their first committee meeting um, was in uh, January, and uh, what they did, as usual, is pass rules. But they uh, considered uh, interim findings and recommendation for uh, what they call interim safety measures related to Representative Mike uh, Nearman, who's a Republican, District 23, which everybody uh, in the government says it's independence except for the people in independence. So we'll, we'll hear more about that later. Now, I know that Representative Nearman is on Cindy's list to follow this session, uh, be, but because he was number one in the conduct committee in January, so I'll just cover him a, a little bit at the moment. Um, Nearman, as I said, is Republican. Our independence uh, was stripped of his legislative committee assignments and fined $2,000 for damage that occurred after he allowed demonstrators to breach the Capitol. Uh, and this is from House Speaker Tina Kotek. Uh, who as speaker has authority to unilaterally impose both of those things. Meanwhile, uh, Nearman has agreed, he signed an agreement that he would forfeit his badge, granting access to the Capitol, uh, give uh, 24 hours notice be coming to the, before coming to the building, and not allow non-authorized personnel access to the building. Now, House Speaker Kotek has called for his resignation but no vote has been taken. Also, uh, Nearman, uh, I understand, might be the subject of a criminal investigation. No other meetings are currently scheduled uh, concerning Nearman, and uh, uh, Salem attorney Kevin Lafke uh, is representing him. Now, the House conduct for a member committee uh, of co-chairs Fahey, Noble, and Raquel Moore Green and Tanya Sanchez took an extraordinary step last Friday uh, by advancing a measure to expel uh, Democratic Representative Diego Hernandez after finding that he engaged in sexual and workplace harassment and created a hostile work environment. Uh, they found he violated standards of conduct for House members in his treatment of three women, all of whom had business at the Capitol, and um, his attorney is also Kevin Lafke. The four uh, members voted uh, to amend a resolution that, uh, if passed by two-thirds of the House, um, would expel Hernandez from the legislature. Now, the measure next goes to a full chamber of the House for a vote, and that the next floor session is tomorrow at February, uh, February 9th. So we'll we'll probably see uh, that vote being taken. Uh, three members of the committee, Fahey, Sanchez, and Noble, voted to adopt the amendment uh, to a resolution that it would expel Hernandez. A fourth member, uh, Representative Raquel Moore Green, a Republican from Salem, uh, voted against the amendment, but joined the other three to move the resolution to the floor for a vote. Now, the Joint Conduct Committee of the Senate and House has not met as of today. Uh, now, that, uh, and now, just uh, to mention an important committee that I'm also following and find lots of meetings but no legislative proposals, and that's the Senate and House Committees on uh, Redistricting. 
Now, the Senate Redistricting Committee is um, co-chair or chair and vice chair Kathleen Taylor and Tim Knopp, and then the the two members are Lee Beyer and Lou Frederick. Um, they have met some six times since January. Uh, they've adopted rules and they've had a lot of information meetings. They're, they appear to be preparing uh, to be ready if something happens when it comes to the census. But um, they've, they had an introduction to redistricting meeting uh, that was informational only. And if any of you want to look at those, there's, there's uh, like five or six of them. Uh, that they can go to Olus and and uh, look up. Uh, very very interesting. The National Conference of State Legislatures. Uh, Wendy Underhill was there, and then Ben Williams, um, who's an elections and redistricting specialist, and they talked about just an introduction to redistricting. Then on the 27th they met, and they had legal requirements for redistricting, and they had Dan Gilbert of the Legislative Council, and then they had Norman Williams, uh, which I watched some of was very interesting, from the Center for Constitutional Government at Willamette University College of Law, and he talked about the history of redistricting in Oregon. Uh, February 1, they met again, and um, they looked closely at the Voting Rights Act and preventing discrimination during redistricting, and that um, was uh, Justin Levitt, uh, professor at Loyola Law School. Again, February 3rd, they met again, and this time uh, they went very carefully over the 2020 census and data delivery delays. They had someone from the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Census, Kathleen Stiles, and then they had um, Oregon, they talked about Oregon's population and the uses of census data, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Now today, uh, February 8th at, at 3.15 this afternoon, is another meeting, um, again, invited testimony only, but uh, I think if you're interested in this, a lot of people are because it affects a lot of things. Uh, the census status delays and potential legal remedies they're going to listen to, and then potential alternative data sources for de uh, redistricting, um, which is fascinating. We'll, we'll see if there is anything they can do there. Lots of informational meetings, uh, but no proposed legislation. Now, the House Committee on Redistricting uh, is Chair Andrea Salinas and Vice Chair Shelley Bosart-Davis, um, members are Daniel Bonham, uh, Vince Vey, uh, Campos, and uh, Con, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, uh, P-H-A-M. Um, now, they've scheduled eight meetings. They're all informational inf uh, meetings by invite only. Uh, two were canceled, and five were very similar to the testimony heard in the Senate, no proposed Legislation Now, Cindy and I have been discussing the situation and reading lots of newspaper articles. Um, it seems that the states, uh, many states are looking at this, uh, won't receive the necessary redistricting uh, data for legislative boundaries from the U.S. Census uh, 2020 until July. Now, our signing die is June 30th. Um, another note, Oregon was hoping the census would give us another congressional district and maybe another vote in the U.S. Congress. 
there is a little bit talk of a special session, and uh, I was not able to find Secretary, uh, Secretary of State Fagan uh, what she has to say about it so far. Now, Cindy, I understand you have some additional information in that area. Well, I'm not sure um, the Secretary of State has much to say about it until the legislature figures out what they're going to do. It sounds like given now you're kind of breaking in and out. Oh, sorry about that. Um, go. It, it doesn't uh, sound like the Secretary of State has will have much to say. Oh, um, I haven't found anything yet. Well, so far. until the yeah, but until the legislature um, knows what it's going to do, and from what you've said, it sounds like the legislature is preparing for what, if anything, they can do. Um, but given the some reporting and commentary by um, OPC. Okay, but some um, reporting and commentary by OPB, um, Oregon Public Broadcasting, um, it looks like if the census data will come after signing die, the legislature can't really do anything unless they call a special session. They get, they get special permission by the court to do so because they're required to act by, um, by July 1st. So, uh, then it would go to, if they don't act, it goes to the Secretary of State. But if the Secretary of State doesn't have the data to act and can't get it done, then it goes to the, the Oregon districts go to, um, the state districts go to the Oregon Supreme Court. But the congressional districts, uh, is, uh, would be done by a, a panel of judges. So it becomes split at that point. Um, and it's pretty assured that um, or it looks pretty assured that Oregon will get a new congressional district, but the boundary for that will be so critical. So there will be a lot of people, I think, watching that. So oh, I'm sure there will. Thank you for those uh, dates. And now, Cindy, do you want to take it from there? Yeah, I just want to remind people they're listening to Legislative Matters on KMUZ Community Radio 88.5 and 100.7. So, um, well, we're well into the session with lots of bills. There have been 2,046 bills introduced as of late last night, and one has been completed, and that one is the the one, the first one that's usually completed, which are the rules for um, the legislature um, to for dates that bills can be introduced when they have to be out of uh, committee and whatnot. So that was that's completed very early. So there we have a lot more bills um, to see, and I expect uh, bills can be really introduced until February 23rd. And so, Jan, I think we're going to see over 3,000 bills this session. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So, Jan, today I'd like to spend some time talking about uh, natural resource issues uh, making their way through the legislature. Last week I talked about education, and there are a lot of eyes focused on, on education um, and um, I'll come back to that as the Feds Act and um, Oregon knows more what what we're doing with respect to opening. So, but today my deal is all about natural resources. So, um, 86 bills have been introduced and referred to the House Committee on Agricultural and, and Natural Resources. That is in one committee, and about 47 bills have been referred to the Senate Committee on Natural Resources and Wildfire. Um, the Senate uh, membership on the committee is that it's chaired by Senator Jeff Golden, and the vice chair is Senator Dallas Hurd. 
And the members are Bill Kenimer, Deb Patterson, our own Deb Patterson, and Floyd Krasansky. Um, the Senate committee meets on Mondays and Wednesdays at 3.15. The House committee, and that's every Monday and Wednesday at 3.15, the House committee on Ag and Natural Resources includes Chair uh, Representative Brad Witt, the Vice Chairs uh, Vicki Breeze-Iverson and Zach Hudson, and members Jamie Cates, Pam Marsh, Susan McLean, our own Bill Post, Jeff Reardon, David Brock-Smith, and Anna Williams. And obviously the House Committee is bigger than the Senate because the House, there are more members to the House. The House Committee meets uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3.15. And what you'll often see is, and Jan, I'm sure you've seen this in your committees, that um, the House and Senate meeting on opposite days allows for members of respective committees to join with the other other chamber to hear informational testimony that serves both committees. So I think that's kind of an efficient way to do it. So I picked out some um, bills that I thought um, were pretty interesting. And the first one I want to cover is House Bill 2067, which came to the committee. And this bill um, will be uh, music to some people's ears because it lowers some fees. So it allows the State Fish and Wildlife Commission to charge fees for hunting, angling, and shellfish licenses, tags, and permits that are less than the amount established in the statutory fee schedule. So it makes changes to angling and shellfish licenses, including elimination of the one-day, <clears throat> sorry, one-day fish shellfish license, sorry, one-day angling license. That changes the fee schedule. It reduces for maximum current and future one-day angling and shellfish license from $32.50 to $23, a significant, yes, yeah, significant reduction. It, there's a deletion of partial dedications of one-day angling license fee for fish restoration and enhancement programs and the Oregon Hatchery Research Center Fund and temporary partial dedication of one-day angling and shellfish license fees to the Oregon Hatchery Research Center Fund. As we hear more about this, it'll be interesting to hear how those, um, that not defunding, but reduced funding affects those programs. And I'm sure we'll hear that in the, in the uh, well, hearing. Well, they don't, they usually don't go that way. They're going up, up, up. So up. That, That's right. This one's just a little different. And just a little background on this bill. The Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife has identified as part of recruiting, retaining, and reactivating anglers and hunters that it would be useful to be able to offer discounted licenses or special cost incentives, incentives to encourage participation. And Jen, we've talked about that in past sessions as the fees have gone up. Yeah. There's yeah. been talk about the lower and lower numbers of people uh, getting licenses and getting especially younger people in um, to participate. Right. So House Bill 2067 um, allows those changes, and we'll be keeping an eye on, on that. Um, then uh, next is House Bill 2229, and I, uh, Jen, we've watched uh, this legislation come up in other sessions. Um, as you know, uh, what, four years ago, um, there was a, G a statewide GMO measure um, prohibiting uh, or requiring the labeling of GMO um, agriculture products, and I, that went down. But before that was passed, Josephine County had passed a measure uh, banning the production or cultivation of genetically modified uh, crops. And um, this 
bill, House Bill 2229, exempts from state preemption Josephine County measures that ban production or cultivation of genetically modified crops. They want to be able to manage their own. And my guess is we may see more of those um, as more and more state or counties look at that and want to control their own agriculture. Um, Then House Bill 2258, um, and uh, this was relating to flooding and and obviously we saw flood uh, the Umatilla floods after the last session and um this bill allows farm or ranch owner operator to sell ownership interest in all I re- read the relating to because it doesn't seem to relate to it at all but um sorry I'll start again allows farm or ranch owner or operator to sell ownership interest in all or part of livestock to final consumer make slaughtering facility regulations inapplicable to farm or ranch owner or operator slaughtering livestock if meat is for non-commercial use of holder of ownership interest in livestock. It allows retail food establishment to sell producer processed agriculture products and allows the restaurants and other facilities selling ready-to-eat food to sell food-containing producer processed products not requiring time or temperature control to safe to prevent safety hazards. Jan, I'm, I'm not sure, and there's no background on this bill, but I, I want to watch this because um, the relating to floods is kind of an interesting, is the Umatilla floods was their livestock that needed to be used and they couldn't because of state law. It's kind uh-huh. of interesting that they're not going to require temperature control to prevent yeah. safety hazards. <laughs> I mean, it, oh. <laughs> it, I just think it is weird, and I think people should know that something like this bill is coming through, and we'll watch it. I'll come back to it. Um, and before we break, I'll just do one more. House Bill 2357, um, this bill eliminates the Oregon Forest Resources Institute and Oregon Forest Resources Institute Fund. Oh. Yes, and, and um, as you know, Jan, I, the Oregonian and um, – OPB did um, at least one story, and I think it was a series of three stories yeah. on uh, timber as part of their timber or OPB's Timber Wars series. Timber Wars, yeah. And OFRI, the Oregon Forest Resources Institute, was mentioned there. And I've been very, very interested in this legislation, and and will watch it. And if this is a this is that's, in that's, direct that's response big. to that article. Yeah, very big. So the power of journalism. So yeah. um, anyway. <laughs> And with that, uh, after our break, I'll come back and uh, do a couple more. Welcome back to Willamette Wake Up, where you've been following legislative matters with Jan and Cindy. So, Jan, if you don't mind me doing a few more bills. Um, Go right ahead. Before you get started, I wanted to mention House Bill 2379. And again, these were heard in the Agricultural and Natural Resources Committee. Um this bill also, I think, a direct response to jur- good journalism. Um, it imposes a severance tax on owners of timber at time of harvest at 5% of the value of timber. And it directs the revenue from the severance tax to be transferred to the Emergency Wildfire Fund. Ah. It, re- it repeals the forest product harvest taxes and fund certain associated expenditures with severance tax revenues. And, Jan, the reason I think this one is um, an important for to watch, I'm quite interested in the issue, uh, is in the 1990s, um, we did have a, a severance tax 
that right. funded uh, counties, uh, timber counties, lots provided lots of funding for services for counties. In 1990, the mid-1990s, that severance tax was repealed, and it was uh, basically a big gift to the timber industry. And the timber yeah. industry has changed substantially over the last 30 years. It has become just a very, very different um, industry. A lot of the timber lands owned by real estate investment trusts that are taxed differently. And so a lot of the counties are not reaping the benefits of their natural resources being harvested. And uh, what intrigues me about this bill is it comes back to an idea of a severance tax, but it's devoted to emergency wildfire, which, of course, we think it's important to fund wildfire um, uh, mechanism, funding mechanisms for the catastrophe that, catastrophe that happens in a wildfire. But those counties, those timber counties, need money too. So I'm wondering how this gets changed as it comes comes through the hearing oh, process. Oh, good, good so, catch. That's right. They do. They're in big so trouble. Again, again that talks about 2379. And then the last one I'll, I'll um, uh, talk about came from the Senate uh, committee, and it's Senate Bill 109, and it directs the State Parks and Recreation Commission to adopt rules managing the use of unmanned uh, aircraft systems by people in state parks. Um, and Jan, as you know, I, I know you uh, are very familiar with this. Um, unmanned aircraft drones um, are restricted. They're getting more and more restricted about where they can be used, can't be used near airports and public places, whatever, parks, a lot of public parks. And it, obviously they're getting more and more popular. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how this change and whether it gets more limited or there's some relaxing of those limitations. So um, anyway, I know you've got a lot to talk about, and um, so back to you. Thank you, Cindy. And, you know, I was reading a story the other day. They had a drone that was the size of a hummingbird. <laughs> I thought, wow, they could really move around without being noticed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating at the same time, at the same time kind of scary. I, I know it is, I know. Uh, well, a little more talk here um, uh, about this week's House committee hearings, which I'm, I'm going to go back and be uh, looking at the House and the committee hearings, and Cindy's going to look at Senate with upcoming committee hearings. Now, today, um, uh, February 8th, uh, I was interested to see the Health Care House Committee uh, and Subcommittee on COVID, they're going to meet, uh, and very interesting to everybody, and they meet this afternoon at 3.15 to talk about vaccine hesitancy, availability, and accessibility for Oregonians who identify as black, indigenous, and people of color. Big, big topic. Uh, I know I have a lot of friends panicked about getting their shots, and um, so they, they should Tune in to this this uh, hearing this afternoon. Uh, now tomorrow, healthcare uh, has a hearing, another hearing at 3:15, and this is a big one for them. This is some action they've they've taken on mergers and acquisitions in healthcare. And um, there was a, a story in the Statesman this morning about this. Um, important that. Many people are worried uh, that 
to uh, merge all these healthcare uh, folks that, that they merge, and this legislation um, is particularly needed, they say, after the coronavirus pandemic uh, because of the uh, recession and the smaller hospitals and independent physician offices. Now, they're expecting a wave of consolidation, and uh, they don't want to be, be part of that. So uh, this is a public hearing on House Bill 2362, and uh, this requires healthcare entities to obtain approval from the Oregon Health Authority before they merge, uh, obtain acquisitions or affiliations of entities that had 25 million or more in net patient revenue in preceding three physical years or before mergers acquisitions, affiliations that result in one entity having an increase in net patient revenue of one million or more. So uh, that's a big one in the, in the healthcare area. Uh, also in healthcare this Thursday, they meet uh, at, at 315 and they're looking at uh, three bills, House Bill 2541, and this is the one we, we looked uh, where they're hoping to let uh, optometrists perform some surgery that they weren't able to do before. House Bill 3108 uh, has to do with individual and group health insurance policies, uh, health uh, care service contractors, uh, and so forth, and uh, provide reimbursement for at least three primary care visits annually. And I know we talked about that last session. Uh, also, House Bill 2081, uh, they're going to look at, have a public hearing on that, and it modifies health care cost growth target program and the health care cost growth target implementation committee, uh, another fascinating area in the health uh, care area. And then, of course, the House Committee on Redistricting, they're going to be back in their meeting again this week and look at census data delays, and this is on uh, tomorrow at 5.30, and potential legal remedies uh, because of these census delays. So that will be another interesting one. And uh, more and more uh, concerning the uh, census on Thursday, another meeting at 5.30, uh, census delays and how states are adjusting uh, the 2021 redistricting. So that's what I have for committee hearings. And Cindy, uh, you've got a little bit of time. Perfect. Uh, I've got a couple more bills that I think are interesting good. enough to mention. All um, right. I've got um, Senate Bill 125. And Jan, I think this one is related to the Elliott State Forest that certainly we've covered in past sessions, you know, with how that has uh, been an issue about who who's going to take control of it. Right. And this bill, Senate Bill 125, requires the Department of State Lands to study and make recommendations to the Interim Committee of the of Legislative Assembly regarding the establishment of a publicly owned state research forest. And, you know, that has been talked about for the Elliott State Forest, and Oregon State's involved in that. And yeah. so um, the, the legislature is going to be involved and uh, look, sounds like it's going to weigh in if this bill comes through. So we'll continue to watch that one. 
Senate Bill 287 is a big bill, and um, this is, you know, the uh, Oh, Senate. I can see why you're interested in this one. <laughs> yeah, it's, the Senate um, this committee is um, natural resources and wildfire. And we heard a lot about the wildfires in this region about how um, utility lines were some of the problem. This right. bill requires that electric companies and consumer-owned utilities have wildfire plans based on best practices. It allows insurance policy encouragement of wildfire risk reduction. You'd think that was already um, allowed. Uh, <laughs> it, it requires comprehensive statewide map of wildfire risk, so a really good look at um, where are the problem areas and being proactive about it. Requires establishment of minimum defensible space requirements. Provides for funding local facilitation of requirements. It appropriates money for it. That'd be a good thing to the state fire marshal to provide funding. It requires annual report to the legislative assembly. Creates an advisory committee. Requires report to interim legislative committee by February 1st, 2022 regarding means to implement recommendations of recommendations of governor's council on the wild on wildfire response it requires program generating wildfire smoke level information authorizes information program regarding wildfire smoke health risks provides for clean air shelters requires increased availability of filtration systems requires the office of emergency management to include wildfire in statewide emergency plans and coordinate with cities counties and certain facilities that goes on it is a very, very comprehensive bill, and it sounded to me like they took the experience in the fall, our wildfire experience in the fall, and said, we're putting everything we found in this bill. Obviously not everything, but um, a pretty comprehensive bill, and we'll watch that as that comes through. Um, now, Cindy, I have one question. Uh, it says requires that electric companies and consumer-owned utilities now, I'm a member of Salem Electric. Does that mean Salem Electric could be part of this? Uh, yes, and we ah. have yet to see. We, this is beginning its way through the process. So and, I should pay big attention to this. Yes, and I do think it's really um, important that um, Salem Electric and certainly most, if not all, other electric utilities with lines are very, very sensitive to this and have uh, wildfire plans in place and brush mitigate, you know, where they go through and clear brush. Um, sometimes they're frustrated by access is uh, prohibited or difficult to get. Um, and so they're, they're very involved right now in it. Good. This, I'm glad. Yeah. This is just focusing, like I said, here's what we've learned. We're going to put it all in this bill and see what comes out. So um, I would expect it's true for all utilities. So electric And it'll be interesting to, to hear the um, testimony on this. Yes, and I'll be watching it, as you know. Uh, and um, Senate Bill 592, an important one for uh, fishermen out there, it prohibits a person from using lead weight in waters of this state for purpose of angling or commercial fishing. Jan, I knew you, you fished in your past. Oh, and I always used lead weights. Oh, my. Yeah, likely used them. So, but this bill is going to prohibit that. And it provides that, viol that the violation is punishable by a maximum of 364 days imprisonment. 
Oh my gosh. $6,250 fine or both. It also prohibits a person from using lead shotgun pellet for purpose of hunting. And it provides that that violation is punishable by maximum of 364 days imprisonment and a $6,250 fine or both. So now, I thought it was already illegal to do that. Um, I guess not. <laughs> very honestly, I mean, I did too, and there's not any background, or I didn't find the background information on that. Um, but apparently, it's not as illegal as we thought. So I guess um, not. Yeah. Um, hey. So, in Jan, with the time um, I've got left, I um, want to mention some hearings that are coming up uh, that I think are pretty important for people to know about. Um, on February 11th, which is Thursday at one o'clock in, and these are um, in the Energy Environment um, uh, Committee in the Senate. Um, the at um, so on February 11th at one o'clock, um, there's an informational meeting, and they're taking invited invited testimony only from the um, Oregon Public Utility Commission, the Northwest Power Pool the Western Interstate Energy Board, um, and the Western Electricity Coordinating Council. And this meeting is on resource adequacy. Jen, the reason I think this is important, we're hearing a lot about, you know, breaching of the Snake River Dam, a lot, oh, yeah. of, so, a lot of renewable power coming on. Um, PGE just closed the Boardman Coal Plant. Um, the electric industry is changing, right? Everybody wants to, though, make very sure that for foreseeable future, Oregonians have the electricity they need um, to live and work. Absolutely. And so this um, testimony will be all on what are our resources and is it adequate? Adequate. Actually, I've been asking that question just in some of my other roles. And um, it's an important question as people look to the future and say, what does our energy future look like? So, um in addition to the informational hearing on that in, in that at that time, well, there will be a public hearing on Senate Bill 318, which will require the, port, the Public Utility Commission to establish resource adequacy requirement applicable to all load-serving entities. And in fact, there are some exemptions from that. Um, that um, it'll be interesting if they remain exempted. So um, I'll be attending that hearing. Um, this hearing is not this week, but it will be next week, but I thought it was important to important enough to mention. On February 16th at 1 o'clock, there will be a public hearing on Senate Bill 14, which establishes product stewardship, stewardship program for plastic packaging and plastic food service wear. And Jan, what that is all about, as I think you might know, is that if you use plastic packaging, if you put your product in plastic in plastic to package it, or you serve uh, your food with uh, plastic ware, you as the producer are responsible for that. It is not just the consumer go and recycle because recycling has changed. Much of it is not recyclable. Might be labeled recyclable, but it's not. And this is, I think we may have seen a similar bill kind of start through the process in the short session uh, uh, last year. Um, but this one, I think, has legs this session. 
So um, and we'll I, be watching. I, it has a kind of a companion one too. Um, in the House, coming through. Senate Bill 581 looks like it. Oh yeah, that was my next. That's the next yeah. one I'm coming to. Is at the same hearing, Senate Bill 581 prohibits the sale of products that make deceptive or misleading claims about recyclability. And, Jan, if you uh, look in your refrigerator at clamshell packaging or whatever and turn it over, most of it does have that chasing arrows uh, yeah. with the number in it. And we've grown up knowing, oh, that's recyclable. Yeah. Much of it is not. And I encourage people to um, actually, if you want more information on recycling, certainly contact your county, um, solid waste uh, people, but also OP, uh, PBS. Uh, last Tuesday's Frontline program really featured Oregon's Department of uh, Environmental Quality, David Alloway, um, talking about Oregon's recycling. So um, it, 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 is a, it is a pretty in-depth analysis of plastic and what Oregon's history has been and what is simply not true today. So anyway, I wanted to mention those um, hearings. Uh, oh, there's one more bill being heard at that public hearing, and it directs the Department of Environmental Quality to study and make recommendations for modernizing Oregon's recycling system and provide results of the study and in report to interim committees. So important work being done on the 16th, and uh, I just wanted uh, people to be aware of it. Very and, good. And we will have on KMUZ's website a um, uh, really quick link to the hearings coming up this week. So if people want to just go to the KMUZ website and look at, for legislative matters, there will be a resource button with that will have all the committee meetings and you can see what's coming up. So with that, Jan, wow. I think, I think <laughs> we're, we're through finished, again. <laughs> we're finished again. Uh, oh, again, I wanted to mention in the rules committee um, uh, tomorrow at 1 o'clock, it looks like the Secretary of State and the Deputy Secretary of State and the Legislative Director for the Oregon Se Secretary of State will be um, testifying before uh, the Rules Committee. So yes, you might hear, saw that. hear yeah, something about redistricting. Right. So until next week, Jan, hopefully our listeners join us for Legislative Matters on KMUZ Community Radio.